Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Just lift your hands. Father, we just thank you right now that you're in this room. God, we're so expectant, Lord, for what you're about to do in people's hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you brought the right people at the right time in the right place. Because, Lord, we're not here by accident. We're not here because we had nothing better to do. We're here, Lord, because we're hungry. We're so thirsty. God, we want to see your manifest glory in our lives, the body of Christ, and an awakening in the world. And so, God, come, move, speak by your Spirit. Give us an ear to hear what your Spirit is saying. And let all that takes place bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, as we're being seated, uh, I just want to um, just welcome and acknowledge our conference guest speakers. Uh, could I have some more lights in the room? That would be great. Um, we have uh, Pastor Ben Fitzgerald from Awakening Europe in the room. Can we please honor him and just put our hands together for him? We're going to get the privilege and opportunity for Pastor Ben to speak tomorrow morning, and it's going to be powerful. For those of you who are not familiar with his ministry, uh, he's a mighty man of God that is so humble and so close to God's heart, and God is using him all over the earth, but particularly in Europe. And uh, he, he's born and bred in Geelong, Victoria, and uh, he's got a few stories from the Geelong days. Um, but I first met Ben several years ago uh, in... Um, uh, in, in a church in Singapore, and he just ministered so powerfully. We connected, and it's such an honor, Ben, to have you. We love you. Our leader's session this afternoon was fire, and uh, already began. And we also have uh, pastors Glenn and Lynn Blakeney here from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, we honor you both, and uh, already you feel like family. And uh, there's been a lot of spiritual resistance in these guys coming here. Uh, waiting for a visa, 44 days, and, uh, and got it. Literally, the Lord said to this couple, I want you to go to the airport. They didn't have all their visas yet. I want you to go to the airport, and I want you to go and stand near the check-in counter, and I'm going to give you the visa. True story. So their son drove them 45 minutes in faith. They got to the airport, walked in, and within a few moments, the visa was approved in Jesus' name. And if that wasn't the first miracle, then they were, had all sorts of encounters with customs officials in Sydney, and then they lost their passport, but they're here. And so we honour you, we love you, and we thank you so much for making time to be here. They lead a ministry called Awake Nations, and God's really using them all across the earth. Um, this is an amazing sound and light display, but I'd really like to see some people. So can we have some just more uh, lights like we would normally have? That would be awesome. Uh, because I want to see your amazing faces. Sort of feel like I'm sort of in the twilight zone up here. Are you good? Yeah. You ready for having an encounter with God? Yeah. Hey, I want to invite you to go with me to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. I'm going to read through from verses 41 to 46. 1 Kings 18, 41, 46. And uh, we um, have been in... A season of prayer and fasting. We've had 
revival nights packed out every Wednesday night. Normally we have our Numa discipleship, but we've shut everything down for revival nights and God's just met us so powerfully and beautifully over these last few weeks. And uh, we have prayer meetings around the clock and we're in, many of us on a Friday afternoon come and gather together before the weekend and for an hour, an hour and a half, we pray and seek God. And I was on this very platform seeking God for this conference and the Spirit of God put this passage of Scripture on my heart. And so we read in 1 Kings 18, verse 41, 46, the Bible says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot, And go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, face between your knees. Face between your knees. It was in 1924 that an Australian evangelist lady by the name of Molly Ayers, she knocked on the door of A.C. Valdez in Modesto, California. And as soon as A.C. opened the door, uh, Molly prophesied, thus says the Lord, I've called you to minister to the people in Australia. A.C. Valdez had never been to Australia and so he was rocked by what he just heard But eventually when he picked himself up off the ground, he invited Molly in and she came in and began to unpack what had led her to knocking on his door. That night, he sees a vision of an ocean cruise liner with the name Monganui on it. True story. Had to be that name. And and so he wakes up and he's like, God, I believe you're speaking to me about relocating our family to Australia we've got no money. Within several days, he found all of the resource he needed to be able to take his family and his mother, and they boarded a cruise liner, and it just so happened to have the name on it, Monganui. And so they went via New Zealand, ended up being in New Zealand for six months. Revival broke out in New Zealand. There was a marching band that welcomed him and uh, uh, pomp and ceremony and a whole lot of people. And he thought it was for a celebrity or for royalty. It was in fact for him. Everyone in New Zealand had heard A.C. Valdez was coming to town. And they knew he was on his way to Australia, but they said, we've got to do what we can to get this guy to stay. So they took him to a banquet hall through this great banquet. And he's like, I'm hopping on the, you know, I'm only here overnight and I'm hopping on the boat again and I'm going to Melbourne, Australia. And uh, they said, no, you've got to stay. Six months, revival broke out in New Zealand. After six months, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go to Melbourne, Australia. When he lands and arrives in Melbourne, Australia, he describes it in his own words as the hardest spiritual warfare opposition he has ever encountered in his life. 
So fierce was the resistance that all of his efforts that he'd seen God move in America and God move in New Zealand over six months, nothing was happening. He'd end up at the wrong church. They'd literally chased him out of the church. Everything he did, he just had opposition. In one prayer encounter, so fierce was the demonic opposition that as he was praying, he literally felt this cold hands of a demon placing his fingers on his shoulder, shoving him in the back. And so overcome was he by the spiritual warfare that he began to have black, dark, suicidal thoughts. He'd never encountered this in his life. His kids were oppressed. His wife was oppressed. His mother was under oppression. He's like, I've got to go home. I can't cope with this. But he began to engage in violent tongues. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. There comes a point in your journey with God where you can't be cute with the enemy. You've actually got to become a fire-breathing believer and you've got to get some violent tongues, some ugly tongues. And so he began to pray and intercede and over several hours, this darkness began to retreat from his living room. And all of a sudden in that moment of where he felt like he was again under an open heaven, the Spirit of the Lord said to him, go to sunshine. He didn't know sunshine was a suburb in the western suburbs of Melbourne. So he wanders outside into the sunshine. And he's out there going, now what do I do? And then his mum runs out and she's been into seeing and she said, hey, the Lord wants us to go to sunshine. He goes, I know, I'm in the sunshine. I'm right here. And she's like, no, you idiot. There's a suburb called sunshine. We've got to go to sunshine. This all happened in 1925. They end up in sunshine And what they didn't know is that nine years prior, a man by the name of C.L. Greenwood started a prayer meeting in his house. That Thursday night prayer meeting got packed. It went to a Friday night, a Saturday night, a Sunday night. It eventually, they got so big that they uh, rented out or they actually bought an old rifle range in Sunshine. They converted it and uh, they started meeting and A.C. Valdez showed up wandering and C.L. Greenwood came around the side of the property and said, I knew you'd come, we've been waiting for you. And in the next 12 months, broke out in revival called the Sunshine Revival, which birthed modern Pentecostalism as we know it today, that got such a dramatic move of the Spirit that they ended up at Paran Town Hall. They couldn't find a permanent booking there and they packed it out over a thousand seats that they started to rent out Richmond Theatre around the corner. And on one Sunday, they raised all the necessary funds to buy the building, buy the property. And thus began the greatest revival that this country had seen to that date, literally in Richmond Temple, just around the corner, where we are backs onto the laneway of the old Richmond Temple. And so A.C. Valdez talks about what God did during that time. In fact, there was such a move of God that, you know, when they were promoting things, word got out and routinely in daily newspapers, front page headlines was like revival in Richmond. Such was the outpouring of the Spirit. The foreign secretary secretary of the federal government at that time was meeting here, visiting here and attending weekly uh, because he lived in Melbourne and there was all sorts of social elites that were having an encounter with God. A.C. Valdez says, from the grassroots, poor and impoverished, right right through to the wealthy and elite, there was such a move of God. He says, I shall never forget the force and beauty of the revival 
revival that broke out. He recalls one meeting where over a series of nights, they had 1,200 every single night next door. They had to relocate uh, to the Olympia Theatre where they saw 5,000 people every single night gathering together in 1925. And A.C. Valdez says that there was one service where he heard a thunderous crack in the roof of the facility and all of a sudden people in the balcony just started getting slain in the spirit. Then that was followed by screams all over the auditorium. I am healed, I am healed, I am healed. One lady, Carrington, says that she was not a believer, but she came, she was connected to the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, and she turned up to Richmond Temple to get healing, and she said she saw a a whirling ball of fire, 24 inches in diameter, come out of the sky and hit her fair square in the head and completely changed the whole curvature of her spine, realigned, took away her scoliosis and completely helped her to grow a little bit. If you need some centimeters, all you need is a ball of fire in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. And, and so such was the move of God that there was an outpouring of the Spirit that gave birth to the ACC, the movement that we have the privilege of being a part of today, such was the stirring, the moving of God's Spirit. And A.C. Valdez says, Never in my life had I seen such mass healings, deliverances, and prophecies as I saw at the revival at Richmond Temple. You see, these stories that we hear of historical revivals are not meant to just simply entertain us. They're meant to inspire us to believe for our own. If it just stays a story, we've missed the point. And lots of people read the revival stories. They even read the Bible stories and they admire it. They admire it. They're even inspired by it, but it stops there. It doesn't go anywhere. Well, Psalm 85, 6 says, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? God, you've done it once. We're asking you to do it again. God, you moved powerfully in a previous generation, but God, we're asking for a multi-generational move of your spirit across the earth. The city of Melbourne needs it. Your city needs it. This nation needs it. Thank God that we're known as the great Southland of the Holy Spirit, but we need a bit more Holy Spirit than we need Southland. We need the Spirit of God to break out in the earth and do something that we simply cannot do in our own strength. You know, the monarch butterfly takes four generations of butterflies to migrate from Mexico to Canada. So in other words, when one generation dies out, the next generation of butterflies picks up the baton and keeps migrating to Canada. You and I are a part of a multi-generational move of God. Since the day of Pentecost, there has been a multi-generational revival. The outpouring of the Spirit that began at Pentecost is still being poured out by His Spirit. And so every generation, including our generation, needs to run with the fire, needs to run with the baton, needs to take it as far as we can so that we can pass the baton of fire to a coming generation if Jesus doesn't return. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a previous generation praying, sacrificing, uh, witnessing, giving, honouring God. What are we going to pass on to the generations to come because of how we've stewarded this moment in history in our lives? And so we need to understand that yesterday's ceiling is now our platform today. 
what a previous generation says, wow, this is as far as we can take it. We're now on that platform. This is now our time. We're in a relay race. We've got to run with everything within us. And so when it comes to these stories of historical revival, when it comes to our reading and devotions and study of the Bible, we're not meant to just simply acknowledge it, study it for, for head knowledge. It's meant to compel us, to draw us, to inspire us, to believe for our own signs and wonders, to believe for our own encounters. And this brings us to the prophet Elijah. The name Elijah actually means my God is Yahweh. He was such a dedicated man to God in a generation that had abandoned their first love, in a generation where uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had led the people of God astray to worship false gods and false idols. He was called to prophesy to the nation at a time when they were limping between two different opinions. He was called to prophesy and call people back to their first love. He was called to challenge the, the, the powers and principalities of darkness that were at work at that time. And we know the story on top of Mount Carmel where the showdown happens and they build an altar and the Lord answers by fire the prayer of Elijah. And so at the end of that encounter, we come to verse 41. And now the prophets of Baal and Asherah have been killed and now the people have said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. If, if fire actually hit us tonight, you'd probably say the same thing. And, and so they, they responded in worship. They put away their false gods. And here in verse 41, the Bible says, Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. I want to tell you tonight, revival has a sound. Whenever the Spirit of God breaks out in a location, in a person's life, in a nation or in a church, it always is accompanied by a sound. Elijah heard that sound before he saw the sound. He saw the sound in the Spirit before he lived in the reality of the rushing of rain. There had been a famine for three and a half years and it was at his word that that famine had come because Israel had abandoned their worship of Yahweh. And now Elijah begins to hear the sound of revival. He begins to hear what God is about to do. What does the Bible say in Romans 10, 17? It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema word of God. You see what shifts things, what moves things from the invisible realm to the visible realm is hearing the sound of faith. It's hearing the word of faith. And then what you bring to that word of faith, the application, the obedience, the heart to honor that word of faith will determine whether something in the supernatural realm materializes in the visible realm around us. We've got to be a generation that is not just hearing the sound, but is calling those things that are not as if they already were. There's a lot of people calling doomsday. There's a lot of people that's talking about, oh, it's all chaotic. The world's getting real bad. The Lord is looking for an Elijah generation who is going to hear the sound and he's going to call it out and he's going to say, yeah, it is, but don't you read the back of the book. The worse it gets, the darker it gets, the more powerful the harvest, the more great the anointing before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. You see, all through the Bible, the Bible talks about 
the sound. Go back to Genesis. In Genesis 3.8, the Bible says Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord walking in the cool of the day. Literally, you look in the original Hebrew there and it's the word ruach. It's the same word we have for spirit, wind and breath. So in the windy part of the day, in the ruach of the day, the, 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 the Lord came and met with Adam and Eve. In fact, you read some scholars and theologians, they believe that the same spirit that filled that upper room, the sound like a mighty rushing wind, was a restoration of the intimacy with the Father that was lost back in Genesis 3.8. And so whenever the spirit moves, there is this calling back to the heart of God. There is this remembrance, there is this returning to our first love where we get to walk in the garden with Him in intimacy and worship and adoration just like we did in Genesis chapter 3. All throughout the Bible we see, even on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, not only was there a sound like a mighty rushing wind, but the Bible says at this sound the multitude came together. You see, revival has a sound. It's not just the sound of the church, but it's a sound of an awakening in the world where the world says, I want in. I I don't know, I understand this. I don't know what this is, but I want in. I want to be where the presence of God is. They can't articulate it like that, but there's something that resonates in their spirit at this sound. Then there's the sound of warfare. The Bible says in Joshua 6, 5, at the sound of the trumpet, shout and the walls will come down. We know that when that trumpet sounded, we know when they lifted up a great shout that the walls of Jericho comes down. There is a time to be silent, but there is a time for the shout of warfare. Balaam said in Numbers 23 that the Lord their God is with them and the shout of the king is among them. Whenever there is an outbreak of revival, the shout of the king is heard amongst us. If it gets a little bit rowdy in the next few days, if it gets a little bit wild, don't be worried. It's the shout of the king. The Lord their God is among them at this sound. And then we read in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, revived, imperishable. So your heavenly body, no more calories, thank you, Jesus. And then the Bible says, we will all be changed at the sound of the final trumpet. You know, historically, revivals have always been accompanied by a sound. The sound of the cries of repentance. The sound of people wailing before the Lord in travail and prayer. The sound of tongues of fire. If we're not ready for the sound of revival, we probably won't encounter the God of revival. There's always a sound. And sometimes those sounds, it sounds out of control. And and I, I remember reading where, Uh, John Wesley said, God, give us revival without its defects, but if we can't have revival without its defects, just give us revival. That there's such a hunger and a thirst for God to move that sometimes the bizarre, the strange, and the extraordinary breaks out, but when you're hungry, you're not judging. You're just hungry, you're just thirsty, you just want all that God can give you. You see, you can always tell when someone is being drawn to the heart of God. You can always tell when someone's being revived, being drawn back to their first love. They honour the move of God, they don't tolerate it. They honour the grace that is upon someone's life. 
not worship them. We worship Jesus, but they honour the grace that is upon people's lives that God is using and speaking and ministering to. In fact, the scriptures say we're to give honour to everyone. Honour, how many know honour is 360? But in a world where so often we become familiar with the graces and the gifts and the presence of God at work in other people around us, we can start to tolerate that which we should honour. You never go wrong when you honour. And so you can always tell when someone is in a place of getting revived, honour comes out of their mouth, not tolerance. You can always tell when someone's in revival, it's holiness versus gossip. There's been such a work in our church over many weeks and months now where there's just this outpouring of repentance and people crying out to God to forgive them of stuff they haven't even committed yet. And, and it's just like, you know, we're very prophetic here. And so it's like, you know, and, they, and, and, and but it's beautiful because the, the church is being cleansed. So often, we're, over the last two years, so many Christians pointed the finger at the world and judged the world. The Bible says judgment must begin with the household of God. And if we would stop judging the world, that, but we would actually begin to honour what God is wanting to do in us and allow God to revive us, maybe we might see an awakening in the world. <laughs> judgment doesn't begin with the world. They're already judged because of their own unbelief. Judgment must begin in the household of God, which means that He's calling us back to being a holy people. Whenever there is an outbreak of revival, there is an outbreak of holiness preaching. There's an outbreak where God calls people back to their first love. Not only that, but there is hunger versus judgment. You know, sometimes in a move of God, in revival, there's bizarre manifestations and and, and, and we sort of can judge what people are doing. And, well, they're really touched and excited today, aren't they? And, 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 but you don't understand what they've been through to gain that freedom and victory in their life. You don't understand what God has brought them out of in their life. And, and so they're, they're, you know, throwing things, jumping up and down, screaming their heads off, getting free. And we're like, okay, settle down. But you don't know what they've come out of. You don't know what God's done in their life. And so if we would just remain hungry for God, God to move in our own life rather than pointing the finger and judging how God moves. Maybe we might see God do more in our own hearts. And often a lot of that is just the fear of man that God's going to break off of us if we're going to walk in and experience true revival. You know that someone is in revival when there's humility coming out of their mouth and not pride. There's just this heart that is, you know, the Bible says in Isaiah 57, you revive the heart of the humble. He revives the heart of those who will humble themselves before the Lord. You know, in Judges 6.34, it says, the Spirit clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. The Spirit that you are clothed with determines the sound that comes out of your trumpet. And if the bugle does not give a distinct sound, who will rally for the day of battle? There needs to be a purification of the sound that is coming out of our lives, coming out of our mouth in this hour. You can always tell when someone is having a revival encounter with the Holy Spirit. You see, we read that the greatest sound in revival is the sound of Jesus. And you will have noticed from the very beginning 
that we would very deliberately making sure that the first lyric, the first line of the first lyrics of the first song is about exalting Jesus. Because there has been no move of God in history in the last 2,000 years where people are no longer impressed with just the gifts and personalities on the platform, but they're totally enamored with the presence of Jesus. The sound of revival is that ministry points everyone back to Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We preach about Jesus. All of our prayers come back to Jesus. And it's a revival of first love. We're coming back to our first love relationship with Jesus. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, revival is the glorification of Jesus en masse. It's just a holy en masse outbreak of the glory of Jesus. So revival has a sound. But then the story continues in verse 42. And the Bible says, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. Revival has a sound, but revival also has a posture. A posture. It's called face between your knees. He said to Ahab, go feed your flesh. I'm going to the top of the mountain to feed my spirit. If you and I want revival, I, I love, does anybody love eating in this room? I, I, I love eating. By the way, at revival conference, whatever you eat, there's no calories. It's just supernatural, right? So whatever you eat, restaurants, cafes, out in the foyer, food trucks up on the top, there are no calories. It's just a supernatural phenomenon at revival conference. We love eating in this church. Here we say, all good things happen around food in Jesus' name. The rest of you, there's a lying spirit that you're not coming into agreement with what I just said. Come out in Jesus' name. I love eating, but here's the issue. If you want revival to knock on your door, you're going to have to love the mountaintop more than you love the cafe. You're going to actually have to begin to lay aside some natural things. Ahab ministries feed their flesh. Elijah ministries feed their spirit. They get hungry for the things of God, so much so that their love and devotion and affection for the presence of Jesus becomes greater than the appetites of their flesh. Some of us are going to go away from this conference and you're going to have to turn off the TV more. You're going to have to put the phone down. You're going to have to stop consuming and feeding this flesh man inside of you. And you've got to begin to posture yourself before the Lord and say, God, at any cost, whatever it costs me, whatever it takes, I I want you to move in my life. I want you to move in my generation. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me because he has given me a work to perform. Elijah assumes the position, face between his knees. In Hebrew, it means, uh, the word is, I think it's hawa, and it means to bow down in worship and reverence. The idea is to literally lower your mind and your eyes beneath your heart to teach you submission so that you are God dependent, not self reliant. You literally posture yourself in an ugly position of prayer where literally, you know, if someone's to photo from behind, they're not going to get your best sight. And so you literally lower your mind, your eyes beneath your heart, and you're saying, God, I'm not going to overcomplicate it. I'm not going to overthink it. It's not by might nor by power, but it's 
sense by your spirit says, Lord, I don't want my head knowledge to become greater than my heart experience. I want to encounter you. I want to return to my first love. Thank God for knowledge. Thank God for the renewing of our minds. But the renewing of your mind is always about realigning your spirit and having your spirit free to be able to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. However, He leads you. Now, just this week, I walked in on my beautiful wife's prayer time. And here's a photo of her in prayer. She was doing a bit of a hawa moment, if you know what I'm talking about. And here she is in her closet and she's praying. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. This is a perfect illustration right now. And she noticed that I was stopped and she looked up and she said, well, if you're going to interrupt my prayer time, at least get my best angle in Jesus' name. And so what is she doing? She's bowing low, face between her knees. I thank God for a praying wife. I thank God for a praying leader. I want to tell you the best gift you can give to your spouse, the best gift you can give to your kids is hawa. It's actually bowing down, face between your knees. I, I love it when my kids walk in early in the morning and they see their dad in their prayer chair and he's having an encounter with the Spirit of God because there may be many things they don't remember, but they will remember he was a man of prayer. He was a man of the Spirit. He was a man of Word. And it'll Mark them and they'll carry that fire into the rest of their lives. We've got to be those who understand the power of face between our knees. Susanna Wesley, the great mother of John and Charles Wesley, many of us don't know, but she has so many kids, you know, it's like, it's sort of like she could you know, start a new nation and, and so there she is and, and she'd be so busy with all the kids and, and she'd just put an apron over her head, put her face between her knees and she would travail and she would pray and God answered her prayers and John and Charles Wesley became one of the greatest revivalists the world has ever seen. Papa William Seymour, it was said in those early days of Azusa Street, he would, his custom would be to come and sit on a box and then he'd bury his head in one of the shoe boxes, two shoe boxes were his pulpit, and he would bury his head between his knees and pray until the power of God began to manifest in that room. There was one head of the Skeptic Society who turned up to try and mock what was happening. And as William Seymour prayed with his face between his knees, the power of God began to shake this man so violently that he shook out of the chair. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Demons came out of him and he rose up and he began to be discipled and he became a great evangelist that began to preach the gospel. And the storybooks, the history tells us that when William Seymour stopped putting his face between his knees three and a half years later, that move at Azusa Street just stopped. He began to lose his way and, and there were other offshoot things that began to happen. But I'm telling you that God is calling the people of God in this hour. We, 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 we do everything else except the very thing we need to do to encounter the presence of God. It is time, Church of Jesus Christ, to get your face between your knees and to pray relentlessly until we see revival come to our nation again. The Lord is coming in this hour. He's He's coming in this session. He's coming in this moment and He's wanting to mantle you for revival. He's wanting to mantle you for intercession. It will not come through cute meetings and lovely little leadership sessions. It'll come when we get our face between our knees and we pray and we pray and we pray. 
This is what Elijah did. The Bible says in verse 43 that, that Elijah said to his servant, go up, have a look toward the sea. And the servant went up and said there is nothing. So many people are today saying there is nothing. I was hearing Pastor Glenn and Lynn tell us that in Canada, such was the restrictions, the dynamics and all the challenges of what was happening there that over 200 churches and their pastors shut down their church, move everything onto online. Church buildings empty. They sold off properties and they stopped because they said, this is too comfortable. This is too easy. And I don't know all the circumstances of what they may have faced, but all I know is God doesn't want us to simply engage with Him uh, from a, in, a, in just an online distant capacity. As wonderful as the digital space is, He wants His house filled again with hungry, thirsty souls. He wants this house to be a house of prayer for all peoples again. And so the servant comes back and he says, there is nothing. And Elijah says, go again. Somebody repeat that after me. Go again. Say it again. Go again. He said, go again seven times. What is revival? It's the relentless pursuit of God. It's not even the relentless pursuit of signs and wonders. It's not the relentless pursuit of more platform time at the next conference. It's the relentless pursuit of go again. You've got to go again. You've got to go again. I think we quit too easily. So many believers, they tried tithing one time. I tried it once, it didn't work. Are you for real? Stop that nonsense. You don't tried tithing. I mean, even God said, test me in this, but at least give it a few goes. I mean, it's like, you know, we, 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 we read our Bible one time, didn't work for me. I struggled with reading. Well, go again. Well, I prayed for someone to be healed and they weren't and I just stopped. Well, go again. I think they said John Wimber prayed for thousands of people before he saw his first recorded healing. What if he'd given up after the first one? What if Daniel, in the book of Daniel, had given up before the, the angel Michael turned up because he was battling the prince of Persia for 21 days of prayer and fasting? What if like day 10 he said, nah, this isn't working? There wouldn't have been a breakthrough, the message of the end time revelation of what God was about to do. The Lord is coming to us and he's saying, this is not a time to retreat. This is not a time to quit. It's a time to go again. This is a word for somebody in this room. You started a ministry, you planted a church, you did something, but you got all sort of burn and all sorts of things. The Lord's coming to you. He's saying, go again. You gotta go again. You gotta strike the arrows again. Don't just strike once, twice, three times, tap, tap, tap. No, you gotta get a, a, a relentless hammer anointing that says, strike, 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 go again. Everything in my life that has been a breakthrough, it's because I go again, I went again. It didn't, I remember the first time when we planted our church in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, we couldn't find a permanent booking. We were in 11 different locations in the first three years. And I heard from someone that uh, Queensland Investment Corporation owned this headquarters and office next to Eastland Shopping Centre. And they said, you ought to go and talk to them because they own lots of properties in the region. So I turned up, no money, sat down. The dude said, how much money you got? I said, mm, not much. He said, well, I can't do much for not much. So I felt exhorted and encouraged in the Lord. And I'm sitting there and he begins to tell me about them moving out of those headquarters and moving to Collins Street in the city. And the Spirit of God said to me, Tell, ask him for the building. 
I'm like, well, that's a little bit bold, but that's what the Spirit of God does. He comes on you and it's bold, fake it. And I said, hey, why don't you give us this building? There's 13 offices, 20 car spaces. We're in the first 12 months of the church. We're a little church, but it would do so much. There was this big boardroom. We could run training, all sorts of things. He considered that for one second and said, no. I left. I was discouraged, but we entered into 21 days of prayer and fasting. And on day 16 in prayer, the Lord said to me, I want you to go again and ask him for the building. I took my business manager, walked into his boardroom there at Eastland Centre Management. I didn't even get to ask him. He pulled the keys out of his pocket, threw them across the table and said, so do you want my building or not? And so we walked over there and for two years, we did not pay one cent of rent for two whole years. Our team, our ministry, why? We went again. We went again. You gotta go again. Some of you been knocked back once. You gotta go again. So what if they rejected you? Shake the dust off your feet and go again. Go to the person of peace down the street. Go to the person of peace in the cafe. Go to the person of peace at the bus stop. Go again. Dr. Alan Meyer, who we have the privilege of having Helen and Alan Meyer as the elders in our church and and they're doing, they just come back from, you know, amazing ministry over in Europe. And he was telling the story when he was a high school teacher at Lilydale High School. He would take his guitar and he felt led by the Spirit to go and just, you know, have a prayer time and worship time in the classroom. He'd invite students to come week after week, month after month. No one's there except Dr. L. And he's just strumming his guitar and singing Kumbaya, or whatever he was singing, and he was breaking out, having a great time, but no one's showing up. And he says, in his own words, one day he's like, that's it, I'm not going back, I'm not doing this anymore, no one is showing up. God, I I thought you told me to do this, and the Lord spoke to him and said, go again. He said, okay, this is the last day, I'm taking my guitar. He walks in, and as he begins to play, The doors of the classroom open and dozens upon dozens upon dozens upon dozens of students start to flood that high school. So much so that over weeks and months, the principal said, we are not having revival in this school. I'm just letting you know, even a heathen recognises when God's moving, right? And so they took it to their house and for many months and years, a glorious outbreak of the Spirit of God on a Friday night. I'm telling you, it's time to go again, believer. It's time to plant again. It's time to serve again. It's time to pray again. It's time to visit hospitals again and anoint people with oil. It's time to empty the hospitals of our city again. What did Smith Wigglesworth saw? He saw a vision that in the last days, such would be the outpouring and healing anointing that entire hospitals would be emptied because of the power of go again spirit that would be in God's people. You see, revival is the relentless pursuit of God. James 5 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain on the earth. Here it is. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain And the earth bore its fruit. Verse 44 and 45, the most amazing thing takes place. And at the seventh time, the servant says, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, somebody say a little while. The heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, 
We've had a bit of rain in Melbourne this week. Very prophetic. And, uh, or pathetic. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. What is revival? Revival is a partnership between God's intention and our preparation. Three key phrases in this passage. The first key phrase is a little cloud. I want to say to somebody today, you may feel like all you can see is a little cloud. Don't despise the day of small things. I remember when we planted our first church, 13 of us in a lounge room. Pastor Alan Davies gave me a $2,000 check and said, sink or swim, all the best. We began to gather together and pray. And over three years, we saw that church just grow into the several hundred facilities, staff. 40% of the church was first-time believers. Power of God began to move. We started with a little seed. Everything in the kingdom of heaven starts as this little mustard seed. But as we water and as we don't despise the day of small things and as we honor whatever it is that God puts in our hands, it grows into something that changes a generation. A little cloud. Not only that, but he said, prepare your chariot. In other words, you, you, if the rain's going to come, you've got to take responsibility for what it is that God is calling you to do. There are things that God is going to put on your heart at this conference, things that God has already put on your heart before you got here. And he's saying, prepare yourself, prepare your chariot. For the sound of rain is coming. Revival is coming. I'm telling you, revival is imminent. In fact, the text says, in a little while. In other words, it's just around the corner. I've been telling our church, revival is imminent. It's closer than you think. It's not as distant or far away as you think. And I love what the Bible says in, in Zechariah 10.1. It says, ask rain from the Lord in what? In the season of rain. In fact, it says in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain to everyone the fruit of the field. The most amazing thing is taking place in far north Queensland. I don't know if you've heard of the great artesian basin, but I'm told it covers 22% of the land mass of Australia. In fact, in Queensland alone, there are one million kilometres of the artesian basin that holds 130,000 times more water than the Sydney Harbour. True story. And 150 years ago, the early settlers, when they were in Australia, began to bore into the soil with their drills to get this fresh supply of water from the artesian basin. Such was the drilling, such was the work that they did that for many years, because of drought, these wells, these boring holes had been dried up and dammed up. But somebody decided, a group of people connected with the Queensland government decided to rehabilitate and to revive and redig these bore drill holes in the soil. And over many years, they began to rehabilitate, and they began to reset, they began to renew what was taking place. And now, headlines say, revival of the artesian basin. And there's new spring water in the middle of the outback starting to gush up and gush over. If that isn't prophetic, I don't know what is. I'm telling you, in this great Southland of the Spirit, where there has been a spiritual famine, 
of the word of the Lord. There has been a spiritual famine, an apathy, and a complacency. It's time to ask for rain in the season of rain. It's time to ask for the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to get our face between our knees and say, God, thank you for what you did a hundred years ago. Thank you for what you did in previous seasons. But God, would you do it again? I want to invite you to stand on your feet with me tonight. All across this room right now, I actually want to invite you to change your posture. There's not a lot of room in this auditorium, but there's room enough for us to begin to change our posture. Some of you need to get out of your seat, into the aisle. Some of you need to come and flood the front here. Revival has a sound. Revival has a posture. Revival is a relentless pursuit of God Himself. Wherever you are right now, you say, God, I'm hungry for you. I need you. It's time to ask for rain in the season of spring rain. The Spirit of the Lord is here wherever you are. Why don't you just change your posture, whether it's right in your seat. It really doesn't matter whether it's whatever it is, but right now I believe there's an outpouring of the Spirit. There's a hunger, there's a thirst, there's an appetite. In this room right now, and as we begin to sing and as we begin to worship and as we begin to press in, the Spirit of God is going to come and He's going to revive your heart. He's going to get that word into your spirit, go again go again. There are things that you've put down and you've laid down. He says, it's time to pick that back up. I'm praying for such a mantle of intercession to come upon you in this moment. Such a hunger and an appetite and a thirst for the Word of the Lord. That you'll never be the same again, irrevocably changed. And so Father, right now in this room, we come to You, Lord God. We thank You, O God, for what You did nearly a hundred years ago in this city birthing a movement, birthing, oh God, a fresh outpouring of Your Spirit. We thank You, oh God, for what You've done in recent years, what You did at Marvel Stadium, oh God, Awakening Australia. We thank You, oh God, for the moves of God, the, the move of worship, Lord, the leadership grace that, Lord, You've given to people in this nation. But God, we're coming to You and we're asking, oh God, will You not revive us again? so that your people may rejoice in you. We are so hungry that God, we're so thirsty. We're asking, oh God, we're contending. We know individually we've got an open heaven over us, but God, we're contending corporately. Lord, would you pour out your Spirit again? Would you pour out your Spirit again? Would you pour out your Spirit again? Manifest your glory. Manifest your power. Come on all across this room, begin to cry out to God right now. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platforms.